Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Blessings by the priest born on the record. Uh, today is May 9th. 2018, Fishers and Men, the Shedrick on the line. Yes, sir, I'm here. Brother, do you know about the church in Savannah with the Hebrew writing in there? Yeah, you're talking about the, um, um, I think it's the first first African Baptist church. Um, We used to go on field trips there. I haven't been there in, gosh, I haven't been there in years, brother. Um, I only found out about the Hebrew uh, writing thing back in, like, 2014, maybe. Uh, But I I still never went to check it out. But, yeah, um, it's one of those places where uh, a lot of people do go to, I guess you could say, tour. because they do like a lot of they talk a lot about the slavery and things like that, uh, um, how they were hiding slaves underneath the church and all of these other different things like that. So yeah, I know about that church, brother, but I haven't been there in a while. And now you. Is it from you, or is it is it like a place where you could go to and take pictures? Um. I don't really know. I mean, well, let me say it this way. It, it's got to be because there's a picture on the Internet of the um, uh, of the Hebrew writing on the pews. So I'm thinking to myself, if someone went in the church and took pictures of the pews, they, they obviously have to allow, you know, picture taken in there. Or maybe that person just snuck that camera in there. I mean, I mean, I didn't go in there during a the time where you could take pictures because I was, like, super young when I went. Um, so things have changed now, but I'm not sure. Let me let me just say it. I'm not sure, but if they got pictures of the, on the Internet of the pews, I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking that they probably do, but, as again, I don't want to speak in absolute. Well, um, is it, like, far from where you live? Actually, no, because I live near, oh, excuse me, I live near the downtown area. I mean, it's like once you go, once you come out of, once you come over to the Viaduct, you're um, near, like, um, MLK, um, Bull, Montgomery, all of the downtown chain stores, River Street, so on and so forth. And the 
church actually sits, um, what is the name of the street? I can't remember the name of the street, but it sits in city, it sits near City Market, which is um, uh, right behind Broughton Street. It's not far from where I live. It's probably like maybe, I say, probably 20 minutes if you're walking and probably like five minutes if you're driving. Probably two minutes the way some of these folks around here drive. Okay. Um, well, if you're able to take pictures, please let me know because we can use some some of those pictures. Um, we can use them. Um, is Lynn on the line? I'm here. Going on the record. Brother, um, how can you, how can I um, network my, I got two desktop computers. Can I network them with a USB cable or um, a LAN cable? You mean you, you want to... Um what are you trying to do, brother? Do you, are you trying to um, share files between both of the computers? Yeah. Is that the, the purpose? Yeah. Um, the, are they are they on the same network? I mean, do you? Um, let me rephrase that. Do you have a a router on your local area network? I do, but I don't want to put it on there. I just wanted to go computer to computer because one of my computers is not hooked up to the internet. I don't want it hooked up to the internet. I don't want no access. Only thing I want is to be able to share files between these two computers. I don't want nobody else going in there. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, the the easiest way to do that. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do it with. Um you know, with the USB uh, cable, because, you know, if you're talking about um, USB uh, 1, you know, you got the um, two different ends. So the easiest way to do it, if you want, like, complete anonymity, is to get a, uh, it's like a, a, I forget what we used to call it, but it's basically an Ethernet cable that has two of the pins switched over on one one end. It's like a direct, um, man, I, I haven't used that in like 20 years, but basically it's an Ethernet cable where one of the, where on one of the ends, two of the, uh, two of the, uh, the, the transmits are turned over. So, you plug one end into the NIC on the first computer, the other end into the NIC on the second computer, and it basically, uh, in your network network settings within Windows, you can create a direct connection network to that machine. Um, I had to do some research on, on it to uh, tell you exactly what the name of that cable is, but I've done that in the past um, simply, simply because... The last time I did it, I actually wrote a, a client server program, and both of them were the client was on one computer, the server was on another computer, and they, it was using that cable as the network. 
So that would be like um, ideal. But the other thing is that you, within your um, within your network setup on the router, you can just block that MAC address on the computer that you don't want to access the internet. But so so it stops the internet traffic, but your land traffic um, can still work. But it just can't access the internet. You just do that with um, with a with a blacklist on the MAC address. Well, okay, but the problem is like my router is pretty far away from this computer, so um, I got these free cables that we got from like uh, the the uh, internet providers, and I spend no hundred dollars on no cable to route. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like. Mm-hmm. Right. Now this this cable that I'm talking about is like it should be a couple bucks. You know, if you if you go that route, it, 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 that cable costs nothing. Well, okay. almost nothing. So I can I can do they have like hundred feet long? You think? Uh, uh wow. I mean, to me, if you're gonna do something like that, then you need to do your own cabling, meaning that. If you needed needed to go that far, you know, if you just want that peace of mind to be able to say, this computer is no, not accessible from the internet, then you would need to get the cable, buy um, a punch, and, and this stuff is is pretty inexpensive, but get you a um, like a Cat Five or a Cat Six cable, buy the punch down tool, and then the connectors, and I mean you can Google. And I'm pretty sure it's a number of different um, tutorials on how to make make that. I, I want to call it a crossover cable, but that's exactly what it is. All it is is that you know there on on Ethernet, there's uh, I think five. It's been so long since I did my own cabling, but there's like five or seven. No, I, no, I think there's eight, but one of them is like a dead cable. But there's a transmit. One of they have a schematic on what the cable is. One is a transmit. One is a receive. And then, so when you actually make your you use your punch down tool to make your plugs, your RJ. Um, it's not RJ45 because that's telephone, but it's, it's RJ number, whatever the that specification is for Ethernet. On one end, you switch the uh, the the transmit and receive over. So that's what actually makes the connection because when you use the internet, I mean, you use the Ethernet cable on the one end, on, on say on computer A, the transmit and the receive um, uh, wires are on, they match up what's on the Ethernet card, but on the other computer, it's flipped. So that other computer, the transmit and receive are flipped so that it can send. So that, that's what actually makes the connection is what makes it um uh, bi-directional. So you can make that. I mean, you can, like I said, you can buy the cable. You, you just need the cable. You just need a, a punch-down tool to press it down into the thing and um, put your plug on there on both ends, and you um, also need something to strip that cable back. But, you know, once you do that, I mean, you can have it really as long as you want it to be. It, it's, it's real easy to do. Yeah, but do I have 
time to do it is the question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only going to take you. <laughs> I mean, uh, brother, that's all. That's all of like a ten minute job, <laughs> to be honest with you. You know, again, you just all only thing you need to know is you know what the number is. Cause I don't have even had that committed to memory because it's been so long since I did it. But I remember it because when I started um, in in IT, I was a net. I was was helping people build networks. So we used to run cable all over buildings and stuff. And then, um, you know, in my life, in my personal life, I've also had to wire houses and apartments. So, you know, that that's. The, the the biggest thing is is just making sure that you know those um the layouts for those cables and like I said, you know, it's it's if you ever wired a speaker, it's really just as simple. You know, if you if you ever run ran speaker wire, it's the same thing. It's just you got six more wires to deal with. Well, alternatively there's a cable I can purchase but it's just shorter. Yeah, you would be able to purchase it, but it's it's going to be much shorter. I would say, if you found it in like a um, like a, a computer store, you know, it would probably be. I think the longest you could get maybe like between like twelve or sixteen feet. I don't think you would be able to find it for longer than that. You you may be able to, but um, you know, I I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing one that long. You know, I know it, it probably should be somewhere between like six and sixteen feet. Okay, so and it's inexpensive. Yeah, it's, it's not expensive at all because I mean people don't really use them. It's kind of like a um, deprecated technology because most people, network wise, are using routers and bridges. You know, they they're using hardware to do that. They, you know, that's like that's real old school. It's almost like a um, you know, having a loop back, uh, like if you wanted to run a back in the day, if you wanted to run a client server on your computer you could actually use what's called a loopback adapter within the within the soft with within the um uh networking software on the computer itself to actually run a client and a server on the same port and the same PC. I mean people don't they don't really do that no more. And like I said, I mean, you know, if if you're trying to send files back and forth, you, you want um privacy or, or what have you, I mean there's you know the the modern way to do that is just to configure the uh, configure through your router's um, configuration with with those uh, those MAC addresses. You know you can block MAC addresses, you can block IP addresses, uh, or really it's like a mask. And then whenever that MAC tries to make a request to go out to the internet, it just blocks it. Oh boy. Yeah, but you got to be familiar with with those menus. I, you know, I, don't, I mean, there's so many different routers out there. You got to be really familiar with those menus. Like the my um, my router is, <laughs> it was actually recommended to me by somebody that has a background in networking. And I mean, he's like, you know, he does it for companies, and he was like, man, this, this is it's it almost has too many features. But the reason why I got it was because I felt like I could grow into it. But I mean, there there are some advanced features that I've used on it. But it's it's you know it, you definitely have to you know kind of play with it and read instructions. So that's that's the only drawback is is just knowing because if you make a mistake, you may inadvertently expose that PC um, 
you may inadvertently create like a DMV, which is not something that you want. I mean, because that, that would open it up to anybody that wanted to try to exploit it. Well, that's not the question, man, because I know I'll mess it up. I can guarantee that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just, you know, just fair warning. It, it's not, you know, it's, it's, some of that stuff is really not intuitive. Yeah, I just know me. I will mess it up. And uh, this is how it is for me. Oh. Uh, Usually I mess stuff up the first time if I'm unfamiliar with it, you know. And uh, but anyhow, um, thank you for that, brother. Um, did anybody get a chance to do any recording? Okay. Um, I Shalom. Am, sir. Yes, sir. Shalom, uh, brother. My, I was on mute. One second. What was that? It, it, this is Ocklin. So um, I'm going on Friday. You know, I'm just basically trying to, well, not trying to, but I'm going to just go with my, um, you know, the normal time that uh, me and Maccabees used to um uh, go out there um, probably for like 30 minutes. I, I tried to do it on Monday, but some stuff came up, so I had to postpone it. But I think my standing day is going to be Friday, and I'm um, probably going to end up doing it live. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I am really tired, so forgive me. Um Okay, uh, where are we at? Let me see. Okay, we're Amia, Lynn, Shedrick, Robert, E.K. Uh, E.K., is it this week that you do that thing, or is that next week? Yeah, you are... Friday's uh, the ceremony. Yeah, Friday's the ceremony, but then next Saturday is when my spring classes officially end so I'll be officially done with like graduate school as of next as of next week. But this Friday I just eligible to participate in a ceremony to just get the diploma booklet, whatever and stuff like that. So but then next week I'm like officially done because that's when the classes end officially. Almost there, brother. You're almost there. That's a good thing. Very good thing. Um, okay, so um I've been really working more hours than normal and I'm really tired. Um We need to hold on a second.
I am forgetting what we were going to be talking about today other than working on doing or doing recordings and stuff and um, getting those out there. I can't even think of anything else, actually. Hey, Brother Priest. This is Aquamania. On the record. Yes, sir. Um, I will be finished with training in like three more weeks. And my off days is on Mondays and Tuesdays. So um, then is when I will start um, doing my uh, recording. Okay. That's great, brother. <clears throat> Great. Uh, I guess gotta get my thoughts together for a second. Uh, let me think. Let me think. Something I want to say. Well, let me start with this. You know what? The whole thing about about this whole Hebrew faith. Excuse me. Once David left, once he passed and and Solomon took over, the whole thing is that there was the whole idea of what the Christ supposed to be is really supposed to be a replicant of King David, which they're supposed to be the military, they're supposed to be a military general, a great military strategist. And of course, they're supposed to know how to erect government. They're supposed to be aware of government law and commerce. But the courage and the, excuse me, The courage and the conviction of David is what we were looking for. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Okay. This is really important. When we do this, this will be really the first official time where we're really stepping out in the public and the goal is to, you know, just do our thing and mind our own business. But we know that, you know, you're going to run into some Pharisees out there. You got to always maintain um, control over your emotions no debating, but you gotta stand on what's right. But I, I really want to say this about our whole plight. Okay, we the Christ is supposed to be basically a reincarnate, 
incarnated David. They're supposed to be have characteristics and similarities of David. Not necessarily a reincarnation. I'm just saying that. Excuse me. So we have we have this major problem that. The whole planet is suffering from this, but particularly our people. That problem is called Amalek. Amalek and the Amalekites are a major, major problem. Is there anybody here that has not heard the story of Jacob and Esau? Anybody that's not familiar or not very familiar with the story of Jacob and Esau. Okay. Thing about Jacob and Esau. Jacob Esau, they they go to war with each other, but and eventually they made up and they became, you know, buddy buddy again. But what happened was. Esau's grandson, Amalek, attacked us, his his descendants, the Amalekites, attacked us when we were going into Israel. They attacked us when we were going into Israel. So, one of the six thirteen is basically don't ever forget was well, two of the six thirteen I think it is it might be two or three the last three I think it is the six thirteen is mostly oral law it's it's oral law interpretations of included. So all that's written really was already um, in the oral law. It was already being practiced and it was already understood. Well, some of the oral law has to interpret some of the written law because In a sense, that's what Yeshua was doing. Like, if you say, um, thou shalt not kill, and then he comes back later and he says, you know, don't commit murder. That, Like, what he was doing is he was giving an oral law interpretation so the people can better understand. So sometimes the oral law was for the purpose of, after the written law came, the oral law was for the purpose of, making sure people can understand better. Well, we're never supposed to forget what Amalek did, the Amalekites. We're on our way to out of Egypt trying to get into Israel, and then they just come out of, well, well I guess they would have been, I think they would have been like, I can't remember right now. 
Anyway, they came and attacked us. And we battled them back and forth. Now, what Amalek has done, really, Amalek is the same spirit as Cain from the beginning. What Amalek has done is um, mixed in with the people so that you can't, the only way you can recognize him is by his spirit. Because you can't really say, I mean, a lot of them are, are pale skinned, yeah, but you can't really recognize them except for by his spirit. It's definitely not something you can say, this is him. So you will see the spirit of Cain inside these Amalekites, and they're mixed all in these Romans. So whereas Rome itself was born of people from Kemet and Greece, Rome really is a mixed multitude. But, it, but the culture and all that came from Kemet and Greece, and the people came from Kemet and Greece, the, the large amount of people. But it's really a, it was really a mixed multitude because these Amalekite descendants of Edomites mixed in there. And it's so much so that to the point where Amal- Amalek, Amalekites really are they're synonymous with Rome, Romans. But like I'm saying, it's, this is a really difficult fight because a lot of them are pale face, and a lot of them are here in America. And they hate us. They purely, they are, they are mortal enemies. It's just like, it was just like Cain and Abel. but they are mortal enemies. And it's hard to differentiate them because they're mixed in with Caucasoids who are not our mortal enemies. They might be mixed in with, you know, like they camouflage themselves like a, like a serpent. So you can't really tell them you have to really be able to see their spirit. And we're always supposed to remember them and remember that to the point where I don't want to say you should hate them, but if you're going to hate anybody, they would probably be the ones to hate. They are mortal enemies. Is just like lions and hyenas. And I wanted to say that because a lot of the confusion that you have on the streets about Esau really is not Esau, it's Amalek. And Amalek is in the spirit of Cain. And because they're mixed in with you know, like these Romans, 
you can't look at them and tell, so you got to know their spirit. And what happened in Oklahoma, uh, I'm assuming everybody, did anybody not hear about the Oklahoma hanging? The Oklahoma what, sir? Hanging. Yeah, about that. Two young black brothers, right? Yeah. And a young brother got hung in Atlanta not too long ago. Yeah, now, when you have true racist caucasoids, that is usually a sign of Amalek because Amalek doesn't have any um, compassion for us, period. It's pure hate. Pure hate. And I'm saying this now because it's important for us, you know, as we are in priesthood to understand that what all these people have been saying from Elijah Muhammad to Hebrew Israelites really is Amalek who has the spirit of Cain. It's really Amalek. The whole white man is the devil. That's really Amalek, who's who's mixed in. You know, he became synonymous with Romans. And the reason why you have to know this is because you don't ever want to be disillusioned that we don't have real hardcore enemies out here. But at the same time, you don't want to just blame every Caucasoid for being racist and being an enemy. So, as I'm looking at it, I know that this is a major step that we're taking. And you have to use your spiritual... Uh, awareness at all times when you when we take this type of step it's bad enough we got to deal with these demonic negroes but when you have a mortal enemy that's out there it's best that you know you you as a man we as men we have an obligation to teach our offspring of their mortal enemy. That's like if you don't if you don't know that lions and hyenas are mortal enemies and you send your little cubs out there and then these hyenas tear them apart because the the cub is, you know, so full of love that, you know, they see anybody and they just want to love. Well, you don't want to send your your offspring out there blind. I just want to make that really clear. And we as men have an obligation to know that. But also, a little bit of niggerdom <laughs> goes a long way between an enemy. A little bit of that niggerish way 
when you're dealing with an enemy, I'm talking about like in combat or potential combat, we're never to be the aggressor. But we can never um, hesitate to put them down quick. And it ain't, it ain't got to be out of anger. You you just got to know you got a mortal enemy out there. And the whole Romans versus the Moors over all of these centuries has been Israelites versus Amalekites. That's really what it's been. Now, I'm saying Rome is a mixed multitude. And Rome is, is the spirit of Cain. But that bloodline that became our mortal enemies are Amalekites. And largely they are Caucasian, but they're not just Caucasian looking. So you have to really be mindful of that spirit of Cain being upon some real pure racist that hate us, real hate. Don't ever be disillusioned. And in every situation that you're in in life, particularly here in America, because it's a mixed multitude, there's a whole bunch of different people in this said country just like it was in Rome, you got to really be mindful of that. We have to build strong men of courage and conviction. Anybody got anything they want to say about that or anything that anybody wants to say? Shalom, brother. I want to say, um, you know, I'm taking all of it in because I know that, you know, we've been in this nation for, um, most of us have been in this nation for quite some time. And, you know, um, it's always still a process when you're learning yourself um, and you're learning how to uh, maneuver yourself um, in a system that you know not necessarily, like you're familiar with the principles, but you're not necessarily familiar with the people practicing the principles. So you have to learn how to, as you say, um, discern spirits and things like that. And, you know, this system, which, I mean, I really do understand now how it is an illusion, but it's so it's gotten to a point where the illusion is almost so strong that it has caused everybody to be almost kind of like bipolar. So you, it's almost kind of like we all have this it's, bipolarism has become so natural that it's it's almost so normal to switch off and on being nice and mean. I know that's a natural thing to be, you know, everyone to have good and evil, but to just be nice and mean all, you know, to be sporadic. It makes it so hard for a person to really discern what what qualities can be detrimental and what qualities can be beneficial if, you know, some people just have the tendency to switch them off and on so suddenly. Now, granted, I do understand that not all white people are, you know, so, you know, you know malicious uh, to us, 
and not all black people are so kind either. But it's almost kind of like everybody has that moment where they can just, you know, be nice. But I realize at some point, like, I don't know, I guess for me, I'm just, I'm, I'm still learning, you know. So I guess from my response is, you know, just one of those things where, like, it's now I have to be uh, critically aware of who and what we're dealing with because it's like now it's so hard to, you know, n- you know, not to paint, paint these people with a broad brush because when I see them, I don't see Scandinavian, Danish, or uh, Swedish, you know, um, uh, Dutch. I see a Caucasoid, but I'm learning how to deprogram myself to not think that way because I know that we're not all just African-Americans. You understand what I'm saying? But it's so hard when it's like I'm seeing these people and it's it's like sometimes they could just be so nice and sometimes they could just be so nasty, and even our people. So it's um it's hard. But, you know, one of those things is in this walk I realized that uh, patience is a virtue, and boy, it is. Uh, it it can definitely um, um, be one of those things that you just kind of like. I understand it have to be long suffering, um, but like sometimes these people will work your nerves, <laughs> whether it be black or white, they will work your last nerves. Um, so I just wanted to respond um, in um, in uh, relations to what you just said, brother, because I know we're about to get ready to put ourselves out there um, amongst all different types of people. And you're going to get all kinds of response. Um, I guess I'm just, you know, kind of one of those people who just kind of like, well, what is it going to be like when we do it? And I won't know unless I do it. So, how you, brother? Thank you for that, brother. Yeah, um, it's it's like seriously, there are some Caucasian people who absolutely adore us and worship us and love us. And the problem is, I remember something. I was talking to an elder um, who was Islam, and he was Islamic. And I want to say this was like 05, 2005. And for some reason, because because I guess how I was taught, some reason I can understand certain things that the Nation of Islam believe, and I never studied the Nation of Islam. I mean, not like that. I just studied, like you know, their history. You know, I never studied like their their teachings. So I don't know. I think I'm familiar with it, but I don't know how well-versed I am with it. But nonetheless, this this elder, he was a Sunni Muslim. And um, 
he was talking about, well, how do you, he was talking about Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X preaching that the white man is the devil. And because of my perspective, how I'm, how I'm explaining it, like with Amalekites, because I, I know that people don't, the masses don't know this. So no matter what walk of life they come from, they just really don't know. So as I'm talking to them, I'm saying I understand it. But it's not like how people think it is. But he said something to me. He said, well, okay, if what you're saying is true, I I understand. And this guy was older. Like he had his all his hair was all white. So he was older. It was like in his 80s. And he said, well, how do you get the people out of that state of mind? Once you got a minute, how do you get them out of it? Now, that stuck with me. That stuck with me because what it, it was a life lesson for me, which was my mind wasn't even on nationhood, like starting a nation in 2005. Um, but it stuck with me, and I said to, I was saying to myself, Man, he's right. Like, how do you get the people out of that kind of thinking? So upon starting a nation, I knew that do not harp too much on this whole idea of the white man being the devil. Because it's, it's going to be difficult enough to deal with trying to civilize these savages, but it's going to be even more difficult if they get stuck in a thinking of this white man's the devil thing. So I've been I, I've consciously made the the effort to say, hey, we got enemies, yeah, you know, what these people do, they're the beast of the earth and all of this. But I consciously made the uh effort to say, you know, before we go out we got to be able to pen as as a father, as a as a brother, as a man. Um, you got to be able to know who the enemy is, or you're sending your your babies out there to be slaughtered. You're sending your brothers and sisters out there to be slaughtered if they don't know that there is an enemy out there. And in knowing that, also. This gives us a balance because if you all remember the Black Panthers, um, Brother Robert, how much do you know about the Black Panthers? The original. Um, I know a little bit about them. Uh, back in maybe, maybe like when I was a little bit younger, I kind of had a little bit of uh, read up on some of them and some of the things they were doing in the community and certain particular activities that they were doing, uh, you know, the programs that they were creating in the communities and things of that capacity. Um, you know, I, I looked into Huey Newton, 
um, and some of the things that he was doing. Of course, the Panther movie came out and kind of gave a little bit of a visual perspective of the things that they were doing. Um, now, I haven't been able to you know, the, the the original Panthers, that is, the new Panthers, I haven't been able to kind of, you know, uh, get, you know, um, where the whole, you know, it's pretty much similar, but it's just not the same as the original Panthers. And I yield. Yes, sir. It is not the same, that's for sure. They don't have the same spirit. But I'm bringing them up because one of the things that I don't think that people realize is that a lot of the support that they had were from Caucasians. They had Caucasian attorneys. They had freedom fighters that were uh, backing them. They were Caucasian. They had a whole lot of Caucasian money that, that was being donated to them and support. And I'm saying this because they understood we're in a system that, you know, from our perception is just straight out oppression. But that doesn't mean hate every Caucasian individual because of what some of these people are doing. Martin Luther King the same. He had a lot of Caucasian support. There were uh, Jewish people who died supporting um, Martin Luther King. There were Caucasian people who died supporting him. And it's always been like that, you know, even if the majority of Caucasians may not have um, been that way. But even with the, uh, what do you call that? The Civil War, the Civil War. So, like, here's what's crazy. Democrats want to keep slaves. Republicans want to set the slaves free. Now, that's crazy. So, so the, the Democrats are, are really the ones enforcing war, mm-hmm. whereas the Republicans are the ones that are trying to say, hey, man, time is up for this. Stop this. Now, how the hell do Negroes only identify with Democrats unless they are still they're deaf, dumb, and blind, mentally enslaved. It's just no doubt about it. But you have to be careful. You, If you know who your mortal enemy is, the flesh and blood adversary with the mind of Satan, now that's a real devil. And that's a real, quote, unquote, white devil. Amalekites. Roman Abacites. But it's really difficult if you are not spiritually developed. You cannot go out here and just give a blanket statement of the white man is the devil because one is not true. Two, all, all Caucasians are not Esau. That's an absolute lie. But they are mixed. These Amalekites, and Esau is gone anyway. He's dead. 
it's only a- Amalek that's left, his grandson. So it's Amalek that's that's the problem. And I can see where he would he would have had that ancient hatred. Well, I can see where he would be angry because his grandfather didn't get the birthright. And I can see where he would he might be looking back on that and, and harbor that anger. That makes sense to me. But whatever reason, he he has the same spirit as Cain. He's a senseless murderer killer. And, and everything that you've heard about the white man's the devil, that is Amalek. And it, and it is real. Well, this is like one of the last lessons you want to ever um, go into because you don't want to send your people, your children, your brothers and sisters, whatever. You don't want them to go out there with a mind full of hate. Right. You don't want that. Hate brings about rage. And further emotion. Yeah, it's, it, it stirs up too much emotion, but it, it, it'll bring you to an irrationality that, right. is just, that is just uncontrollable. So you don't want to base something based off of hate for people, particularly when you can't, the guy, this guy is camouflaged. You can't, you, you can't see him because he's he's camouflaged like a serpent, and he consciously did this because he's a he's a bloodthirsty, just savage murderer, a bully, and everywhere he goes, he leaves trails of blood. So then. The Moors versus the Romans, the Romans versus the Moors, which start out Romans versus Israelites. Amalek gets up in there, and he's the one spearheading the whole thing. He's the one in them Romans, the spear, the spearheading the whole thing to go against Israelites. You just got to remember that. So, uh, let me see, one other thing. So, here's what I think uh, we can do. Well, my brain is too tired right now. (laughs) Anybody got anything they want to say, share, talk about, question, anything? Brother, I have this question. Um, Oh, sorry, go ahead, brother. Um, I preach. I'm just around here. I'm gonna be logging out a little early tonight. No problem, brother. All right, shalom. Shalom. Shalom, minister. Um, uh, I have this question, and it's really been like lingering on me. It's just a, it's just a thought that I was having, and it's, it's relatively a theory. Um, 
I was sitting here and I was um, reading the book of Genesis. And I think I had this conversation with one of the brothers some time ago um, about Cain. But not necessarily about Cain. It's more so kind of like, um, I guess you can say, uh, uh, sanctuary cities. And um, there was, like, I was reading the whole situation with Cain, and I know he had, you know, he murdered his brother Abel. And when I was reading how everything, you know, how everything uh, transcribed or how, how everything panned out, in terms of how he was labeled and all these other different things, and then he went to the land of nine. Um, I theorized in my head, and this, again, this is just theory, that the land of nine would be considered as a sanctuary city. And it, and the reason why I was th- – and I'm only just going to ask your opinion about it, brother, um, but nonetheless – I, the reason why I theorized it was because of the simple fact that when the brother uh, Cain um, killed his brother, he eventually, you know, regretted it, and he was he feared for his life. And I remember um, somewhere in the scriptures, I can't necessarily recall that when they started, when the Israelites started setting up the cities in the suburbs and so on and so forth. They they designated certain places to sanctuary cities in case someone committed uh, murder, uh, 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 I guess you can say by accident or something like that, or what have you. And you know the sanctuary cities operated like if you go there for a certain amount of years, and if the you know administrator of that city that you left you know left the office or something like that. You know, you can come at the whole. You can come back at the whole number of years if I can, if I interpret that a whole another, uh, if I interpret that rightly. But the only reason I'm bringing this up is because when I saw it, I was thinking that the land of Nod might have just been one of those sanctuary cities where Cain could have possibly gone, you know, to protect him, even though he was still, you know, marked as a murderer. So no, you know, he would go to the city so that nobody would necessarily harm him. But eventually his karma would come back on him if you read certain other literature. But I wanted to ask you in regards to that particular theory, what do you what do you think about that? You know, brother, you have an amazing way of putting things. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know what? Like it's crazy because every time you do that, it's like I see it. I see what you're saying. I have to agree. And it's taking my mind somewhere else, too. Like, I feel like that expanded my awareness because um, when you say sanctuary city, um, okay, one of the words that's synonymous with kingdom Mm-hmm. is temple. Mm-hmm. So, like, the temple would be considered a kingdom. And really, it would be the headquarters of the, or the White House of the kingdom. But, but it, it itself, particularly in modern times, if it's 
if it's classified as a sanctuary, that's classified as an asylum. Right. So what you're saying would make sense because, yeah, that would be like the city itself could be the asylum that protected him. I can see that. Definitely. But the way you put it, it just really was, that's just great, brother. It's great. I try to do that with with not everything, but because I have a because you've given us such a you've given us a way to look at the scriptures in a more realistic you know climate. I try to you know do that with certain different things. I won't necessarily say what all those things were, but I had I will be sitting down and I'll be reading these scriptures. And then there will be certain things, and, I, and I've been doing this ever since I met you. I didn't used to do this before, but ever since I came here, you've given us a way to think about certain different things, and I will read certain different things, and it's like everything is in the scriptures. I mean, even from how something is – there's another thing that I wanted to ask you about. There's something in this, there's a particular scripture that you always seem to point out here and there, and it's in regards to uh, when a Hebrew, when a, a Hebrew owns another, or not owns another, but uh, his brother is subject to slavery for a certain amount of years, and basically, or if he uh, is under bondage by a Gentile, and his brother has the right of redemption. There is uh, the process of paying, you know, the amount of years that the uh, that the person in bondage. Um, how should I say this? The right of redemption will be based off of, like, however, you know, whether he he wouldn't be basically the redemption wouldn't cause what he actually was bought for. But basically, how many years more or less he had within the bondage? So if he only had a certain amount of years in the bondage, they would pay the diff- They basically would pay that uh, amount of years. Like if he had more years closer to the um, uh, to the year of jubilee left, then he would just pay that amount. But if he just was bought or whatever, and he basically had like fifty years then they basically would have to pay, you know, that amount. But I'm going to ask you about this. So I was sitting down and I was thinking about that scripture because I know you always throw it out there, and I kept thinking about uh, prorating. I don't – okay, are you aware of, you know, how you prorate certain different things? Like, say, for instance, you prorate your your employer – uh, your employer's payment, or you in, uh, you prorate, um, uh, what is it, how much a person may pay day-to-day if they're, you know, living in the house. They have, like, a monthly payment, and, you know, you would take the rate of what that person would, you know, would have paid a month, and you divide it, I guess you could say, in small portions uh, by the day, and then you will pay the rate for the day or whatever, I have to work out the details and the prorate uh, the 
the description, but nonetheless, every time you said those particular, if every time you mentioned that particular description, I kept thinking about prorating. And every time I looked at that scripture afterwards, I kept thinking of, well, you can use the same scripture for taxation. You can use this, you know, scripture for uh, uh, payroll. You can use it for, you know, uh, amortization. You can use it for practically anything that comes with uh, rating. And, I, again, I wanted to ask you what your thoughts is on that because this is what goes on in my head when I'm home and I'm reading this stuff. And I just wanted to ask you, what do you think about that, brother? I think you got it, brother. That's exactly what it is. I'll still have to work out some of the details, but you don't know. Like, ever since we've been in this truth, you gave us a whole different way of looking at everything. And sometimes I'd be wanting to, like, say certain things. I have to still work out some of the details before I explain them, but I just want you to understand this is what you've given us in regards to everything that you set your heart or everything that your uh, teachers have given you to give to us. And this is the product of what you've given us, brother. And I just kind of wanted to see what you think about it because I know that you said that everything right now in terms of this reality now is is law, government, and commerce. And that's the way that I've been, you know, seeing these things. Not hoping to see it, but I see them every day. And I come up with all these different theories about how these things work. And one, and I just felt like one day I said, I want to share them with the elder just to kind of see what he thinks about how some of these things can, could work, not to say that they do, but these are just some of the things that I think about on the daily. And just to kind of show you, brother, that not all of what you set out to do goes to ways, even though some people take your teaching and make mischief with them. You understand what I'm saying? It's not the case all the way around. I respect everything. We we respect everything that you do teach us. And I just kind of wanted to throw that out there, brother. Praise the Lord, brother. I appreciate that very, very much. It's almighty delivering it to us. And um, you know what? Like, it's, what happens is you start this path when you're sincere. Life starts to open up to you every day. Like, maybe not literally every day, but you consistently have moments of revelation, you know. And um, this government law and commerce thing, it's like, it's fascinating to me because it really answers just about everything that I've come across since is my mind was plugged into it. Um, it answers just a whole lot. I mean, I look at our people who follow Egyptology and, oh, the Bible is not, you know, it's plagiarism. I mean, how is that possible if the Bible is talking about Mesopotamia and Mesopotamia preexisted Egypt? Um and then the forefathers of, of Egyptians, uh, you know, Noah in particular, 
no way that his son, his history predates his father. That is ridiculous. And you got a mental problem if you believe it. So I praise the Lord for that, brother. Um, you know what? Uh, we did civil diplomacy and this is something else I wanted to mention today. Forgive me because I am really exhausted, but I'm going to keep going. Um, in the civil diplomacy, we did these uh, the rules of minutes and orderly conduct, like the Robert rules, what have you. I mean, it wasn't really called that, but we actually were blessed because we had um, a brother, um, Tarion Jackson, a.k.a. Tobiah, who had a, a lot of experience with that. So he was able to contribute. That was one of the good things or the great things that he did contribute in a positive way. And it was a preparation for what was to come. So, oh, you know what, uh, EK, can you get, uh, I think it's Luke 10. Uh, Luke 10, I think it's chat, uh, verse 1. I think it's verse 1. Okay. <clears throat> Verse 1, I mean Luke 10, verse 1, excuse me. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where he himself would come. Okay, now you got to hear this again. Well, no, jump down to verse 7, I think it is. Verse 7. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such thing as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. Um, that might have been the wrong verse, but let's go back to uh, verse one. Okay, now this is talking about Yeshua. So, oh wait, side note, hold on. When I'm saying Yeshua, the reason why I'm I'm really we got to understand the ancient language had the ancient language was Aramaic and it was Aramaic before it was called Hebrew. But, um, and before then it was a prototype Phoenician language. But anyway, it had the vowels, even though it did in pronunciation, even though it didn't write them all the time. So, when I'm saying yes, yes, Y-E-S, Yeshua, I consciously know what I'm doing because I was taught this. Because that would be the more um, the more proper way to pronounce it, particularly for an English translation. But what Negroes have done is they want to make Yeshua, they want to make him the most high, so they say Yah. So they're saying Yahshua instead of Yeshua 
which will be more proper. But we're talking about Yeshua right here. Okay, now listen again. Just you got to hear. There's a number. There's a number. Can you read that first verse for us again? Luke 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. 70. Yeshua had 70 disciples. Out of the 70, he called 12 and made them apostles. Those 12 were the ones who were more diligent in the studies. But the reason why he called 70 has everything to do with Moses. Moses called 70 of the elders. And this number 70, or derivatives of the seven times, you know, times um, one or ten or whatever, the 70 was one of the foundations of what the whole nation was to be built on. Joseph, um, I think it was 70 when Joseph was in Egypt. Um, there's a book. Anybody heard this book, Hebrew Pharaohs? The Hebrew Pharaohs of Egypt. Anybody heard that book? Yes. Who's it read? Anybody, anybody read it? It's been many years since I've seen it, but this man that wrote the book, um, I carry. He's a he's a um, uh, uh, Arab. I'm Ned Osman. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I was first turned on to him in 1990, and he wrote House of the Messiah, and um, I read that book, and it, it explains that there were Shemites that were ruling, so it gives you some good hints. But anyway, there was always this 70. So Joseph is in Egypt. He's ruling like the Pharaoh, and he has 70 um, with him. Um, marching into Egypt, um, 70. Just all this numbers. So what Yeshua was doing is he's doing the same thing. He's He's coming out on his mission. He's getting 70, and out of the 70, he's pulling out 12 to be apostles. But uh, but the 70 were disciples. So um, one of the points I want to make is that in your city, in your state, in your uh, temple. We want to start with a solid 70. We want to kind of like maximize the number of people that we are congregating with at 70. 
at first. And I'm saying it's not just by just mere tradition, but it just makes sense to keep your numbers low at first because this next move, uh, it should be the move that is going to really pull people in. If you haven't heard me talking about these last recordings and stuff I've been putting in the Keys of the Kingdom, um, what I did, the same message, I just changed some of the words to fit specific people, which are basically Christians. And I just been doing it so long, it's just second nature to me, but I tested it out, okay? So, Trevon, um, he, his father is a seven-day Adventist, and he's been in the church for like 50-some years. Average seven-day Adventist. And I've always gotten along with seven-day Adventists. I've always had good relationships with them. But uh, Trevon, Gavin, and Antigenaire, they all went to the same uh, church. So Antigenaire introduced Gavin and Trevon to the nation. Anyway, so testing it out on some of these recordings out on this man through um, Trevon. And is actually getting a response. It's, it's sparking something in him. And is making him want to know more and um, learn more. So this is medicine. When we go out there, we're not going out there to just feed people a bunch of knowledge, a bunch of information, excuse me, so-called knowledge. We're not just going out there to feed them information. You have got to remember, we have to cultivate their mind. So what I'm asking is that you remember that you got to make this stuff simple enough for a Christian to understand. And it's got to be simple enough for them to understand. And it's got to be medicine for their mind. It's got to be medicine. Okay, so right now I don't have this um, posted, but it's in my brain. I'm just so tired I cannot pull it up right now, so I'm going to speak from my memory. All right, so here's what we're doing. Oh, wait, one other thing. Tabernacles. Have we talked about tabernacles, Lynn? Have we ever talked about that? Yes, sir, we have. Can you share, refresh my memory? So um, I, what I recall of us uh, discussing it is basically um, the, t- the tabernacle was like a traveling temple. And one of the one of the modern derivatives of that would be like when you see Christians having um tent um services like revivals or whatever, um, it's pretty much a derivative of 
what the tabernacle would have been. You know, we, we there was a, a service uh, amongst the Levites. They were the only ones that could uh, could touch the um, components of it. And wherever we were, we just would set it up and and you know do worship with it or, or worship um, within it. This is it's essentially a mobile temple. I yell. Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. <laughs> it is a mobile temple. Um, and this is before we had physical temples. So that's basically what we're doing the same thing. Um, before we have physical temples that are actual physical temples of the Most High, um, our study groups are operating as tabernacles. Now, that doesn't mean we got to literally go pitch a tent, um, but you know, it's important that we understand that. Um, okay, so temple, study group is operating as a tabernacle. Study group, keys to the kingdom. Um... All right, uh, shoot, I'm going to have to look this up because my brain is really tired and it's uh, forgetting stuff. Give me one second. So I've been dealing with some family issues, so... I'm extra tired, <laughs> boy. But um, yeah. So look, this is the learning. I, I'm. A, I want to explain like the how we need to set up the learning thing. Uh, some of this we haven't talked about in a while, but basically it's like this. Keys to the kingdom is a Bible study on history. So if you if you know notice like I've been going into more history consciously, personally. I've been um maybe you haven't noticed, but I've been just going into more history and expounding upon it from the basics of the history that we started with, with the nation. So keys of the kingdom is more, um, it's just going deeper into the history. So you got to understand when people come in and they want to sit in with a a Bible study, we got to have strict curriculum because we, we're not trying to, you know, get people going crazy out here. But look, it's, it's history, introduction to the laws, and it's comparative religion. Now, this is important. It's very important because you got to think of this. The fishers of men are going out. This is what we do. We go out. Where going to be drawing people in who are going to come from all different walks of life 
but a whole lot of them might be Christians and they might not know anything else except for Christian. They might know, they might have heard about Jew, Jewish people. They might have heard about Islam, but they don't know nothing but Christianity. So we have an obligation to show them that the origin of all of this is the Hebrew faith. That's basically what compared to religion is what I mean. This way, once they get a foundation of understanding how all this thing works together, if they do not officially go any further with the nation, there's already something in their mind that's going to start cleaning up this madness out here and all this division. We got salvation class. That's culture, cultivation, um, political awareness. So what I mean is salvation will be for people that are actually official members, and they're going to get the culture. So we're talking about dress code, um like stuff like um, how to cook Hebrew meals and, you know, stuff like that, the culture. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) (laughs) Culture, political awareness. And what I mean is, remember, the whole foundation of what this nation is about is education primarily on government law and commerce. So we start to introduce them to different things because now they're official members and we're trying to salvage them and get them ready to move forward within this nation. So from the very beginning, we we got to they got to get hit to this bond servitude and what's going on. Then rites of passage, which is education on trade and your domestic kingdom, divine gender role assignment, courting, things like that. Some of this stuff we haven't really gone over in any detail uh, in depth, but this is the time that we got to start bringing it out. So um, that's what would be introductory through the temple, through the study groups operating as tabernacles, We've had Keys of the Kingdom, which is history, um, laws, and comparative religion, so people can get a solid foundation and comprehension. They, you know, some of them are going to come on in and come on board and join us. We can take them um, into salvation where they get the culture, law, and political awareness. And from that, they can move on from that to rites of passage where they could do these at the same time if we set them up right. Like they might be able to do one on Tuesday and another one on Wednesday or whatever. But on the rites of passage, which is what I've really been trying to work on for the last, I don't know, year and a half, trying to get us to get into this social media, um, passive income and central manifest, and trying to get us to get there is just a struggle. But the idea is that 
you have something that you can use as a trade. You can earn a trade, learn a trade, or in the meantime, you can set up something that's going to give you residual income or residual uh, revenue. So that's the point of that. Then we go into dealing with courting, and what we want to do with that is um, we're going to need to have, because there's going to be sisters coming now. So once we hit this, you know, we're days or maybe weeks away from popping it. Even if we on break, it's still, we got to go. So you got to get in the routine and getting on the radio and saying things, but we got to go. Anyway, so look, <clears throat> sisters are going to come, and they're going to be choosing. <laughs> We're going to have to deal with them. So in that sense, we can have uh, specialized um, meetings, like singles meetings. You know what I'm saying? Or single socializing events. Or I don't know. Hopefully you know what I'm saying. We got to teach the people, we got to train the women and the men how to be men and women again. Because we don't want to just bring women in off the street. They look cute and all, you know, got that nice figure and all. You just want to just jump on them and hump them. No, no. And then they're going to try you anyway because they don't know any better. A lot of them don't. All they know is, uh, you know, I got to seduce this man. So you got to be ready for that. And that's basically how it works. Now we have a, a, a maximum of seventy in, in our in the tabernacle study group. More than seventy, but we want to be able to keep it in a controlled manner. Now, people go out on, on the fishers and men line. We go out. I, I I did look up some of these laws. By the way, if you are having, I did. Um, if you if you're cooking food and, and, and taking it out there and giving out hot food, they have made that illegal. Oh wow! So you can give out food, um, but. The the reason why they made it illegal is because the it's all well well let me say this it's, it's kind of already been illegal it's just not being enforced but they recently started to enforce it because they have they're saying that they're being concerned that some people that are giving out this food are actually poisoning people you know and killing people off putting all types of stuff in the food. And they have no way to to regulate it, so they can't protect the people from these um, potential wicked people that are doing some dastardly things. So that's the, the thinking behind it. But you can give out food and stuff like that. So we can give out canned goods, books, clothes. We can do that, and then we can invite people to come to study groups. So once we start, we just do study group online first. If they can get into Facebook, there's stuff in there, but um, I'm actually setting it up inside the university, and I put everybody in here 
in there in the university, so it's already there. It's just that all the materials are not there, but, you know, I feel like I'm going to explode my brain with all this stuff, but anyhow, I hope that makes sense. Um, Lynn, do you have Skype? I do. Okay. Um, are you able to access it right now? Not right now. Okay. Well, um, I realized that uh, Skype has a chat function and um, I didn't know that, but anyway, I set up a Skype for Fishers and Men. So, um, if anybody here has Skype, um, it is you can search on there, Fishers and Men Outreach, and please uh, add it to your contact list. Um, Shalom. Minister, uh, so several weeks ago, um, you had asked me if we were using, uh, if I ever been on the, with the free, free, um, free screen sharing or something like that, and and I said no, I hadn't been on there. Uh, let me let me just say this because one of the uh, brothers brought it to my attention that you might have been talking about the free conference call, and I was going to say, I'm sorry, I do remember being on the free conference call um, website that we was going back and forth on, but when you say free screen sharing, and I figured you was being specific about it, that's why I said no, but I should have knew that you were saying free conference call, but just understand what I'm saying. I figured you were saying it to be specific, so that's why I didn't say yes. So I just wanted to let you know, yes, I have been on that site. And I only am saying this now because I say on record, no, I hadn't been on there. So I just wanted to clarify that, yeah, I have been on free conference call. I just had never used free screen sharing.com, and I yield. Okay. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Well, yeah, the free screen, the free screen sharing is the free conference call. But like I talk, I got slight dyslexia, so sometimes I talk, I say the thing that I'm don't want to say. Right. <laughs> sometimes I do that. I do it a lot actually, but you know, anyhow, um, pictures of me and outreach. Please send a uh, contact if you have it. And if you don't have Skype, fine, but uh, we can use this to chat and um, even talk to people. But I don't have a, I don't have the uh, headphones or whatever to talk to people, but we can at least communicate with people. So um, anyway, 
when we get people on the officials and men line, you know, outside, out, outside, making contact with the people, then naturally there's going to be a whole lot more people coming on board than what we've ever um, experienced in the nation. So we need um, to really institute tribunal, and that was the purpose. I was trying to say this earlier. It just wasn't coming out, but that was the purpose of civil diplomacy um, to help us get ready for a day like today, the times that we're in. And um, we need functional, functional tribunal because there may be issues that are going to arise. So I would like to make some appointments so that we can do tribunal. And um, when when issues arise, if there are small, minor issues, they can be handled on a micro level. And I guess it would be like we're going to do this like a kind of like civil, criminal civil court, um, then a superior court and then a Supreme Court. So the local district courts would be the local city. So who's ever um, able to be deputized to be like overseeing disputes in that area they're too heavy, then they would go to like the federal court level. I guess that would be, yeah, that's what it would be. If they're really, really, really too heavy from there, then they would go to the Supreme Court. So I'm just putting this out here so that it's in our minds because we're almost ready to expand. I mean, we're right at the point where any day now we can really get this thing popping. Um, so, Lynn, um, I hope that you can accept this appointment. But we need a magistrate, brother. And I'm asking if you will accept the appointment of magistrate so that if something comes to a federal court level, you oversee. If something has to go to Supreme Court, then I'll step in and we'll have um, everybody, well, it's only well, no, here's what we could do. We could probably include 
the elders of our nation, which would be Ema and Kedrick. And so it would be Robert, Shedrick, Lynn, Ema, Kedrick, and myself. That would be Supreme Court level. Um, I hope that you are willing to accept an appointment of a magistrate um hopefully no things will arise too soon that we gotta actually get down and do it. Brother Robert, I'm asking that you be appointed um sergeant at arms. Because you did a great job doing that before and you're just a natural man. Like it's like you're a natural defender. So brother Lynn, uh what are your thoughts? Give me a minute, brother. Um, give, give me a minute, brother. I, I'll, I'll come back. Okay. Brother Robert, what are your thoughts? Uh, <clears throat> my thoughts are, yeah, man, I mean, this will be a, just a basic uh you know, continuation of what we were doing in the uh, civil diplomacy. So, I mean, absolutely, whatever it takes, brother, to get, you know, this thing moving, getting things, uh, you know, uh, in case of any particular form of controversies that arise, uh, I'm I'm with it, brother. I get it. Well... Praise the Lord. Secondarily, Shalom. Was, sir. Yeah, point on the record. This is Auckland, Tribe of Judah. Um, this is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of overwhelmed with being nominated for the office. Um, just a lot of things that's transpiring. I, I feel like, um, you know, within the nation, um, particularly within um, our class within the third degree, and the deeper we go with this, the more and more I'm, I'm understanding that everything that we've learned, you know, coming in through, well, that wasn't a seed of thought when I came in, but um, from first, from nucleus to first degree all the way through third degree, um, all of it is constituent parts that we need to self-govern. And I just see it as a, you know, another step in the evolution because we were, you know, at that place at one point in civil diplomacy and then, you know, we adjourned and, you know, we've gone through, you know, different experiences since then, but it, it, it's imperative that we have a framework in place 
um, by which to self-govern, you know, and then just going through these studies, you know, understanding that when we're dealing with these um, indentures, it just dawned on me that, you know, th- things started to run together, and it just dawned on me that, that we're actually legislating. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's very, um, man, I, I, to to be having that experience and then, um, you know, to, to, to step into another phase of uh, development, you know, as far as um, sitting in that seat, it, it's just, it, it, it's humbling to even be asked that, brother. So um, I just needed to get that off of my chest so that um, it's expressed for and on the record that I, I got a pretty good comprehension of the um, responsibilities and the fiduciary obligation that I'm taking on by accepting um, the nomination. Um, and with that being said, I, I do accept uh, the nomination. Um, I yield. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, Brother Shedrick. Um, I'm asking for you to consider the appointment of prosecutor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Attorney General. (laughs) Here's the thing. I mean, well, what do you think about that, brother? I mean, I, I guess because I'm still learning so many different things, I never just, I, I never saw those qualities per se, but I've always wanted to grow stronger in uh, litigation and things like that. Um, but what do you think as far as the quality? Do you think is there? <laughs> Obviously, you do because you you're asking me, you're nominating me for it. But I mean, I never thought that I'd do it. Yes, I do it. Yes, I do it. Well, praise the Lord. But you know what, brother? You know what? You and Brother Robert, you all have just always been, you know, looking out. And then it will be you that will come and say, Brother Priest, this, 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 and this is going on. Mm-hmm. So it's like you've already been in it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's already yeah. been happening. It's like Robert's already been like the sergeant of arms for the whole nation. He's been defending the whole nation. It's like, you know, Lynn's already been a magistrate. It's like we, we bring something and then we start talking about it. Then, you know, he gets to reasoning with it and he's going right into the law. You know, it's just, it's been organic. That's basically why I'm saying it. It's been organic. And, um, but in this nation, you're gonna to have to defend yourself. So you're gonna to have to you ain't gonna have no defending attorney. You're gonna to have to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, that's that's basically where we're at with it. So I'm not, Sir. So 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 that's what it's about, right? I mean 
you know, if if you think about it, we're coming from a jurisdiction where, you know, we have to be represented because we're we're minors. And in this nation, the whole point is is to raise ourselves up to come out of that war-like status. There there should be nobody that if if a complaint is made um, that needs to have a mouthpiece speak for them. Mm-hmm. That's right, brother. That's right. Very well put. Very well put. And, um, yeah, so there's no reason for anybody to have to be represented, represented by somebody outside of them. This is not the case. And uh, the prosecutor, you know, if there's any evidence, uh, what can happen is the evidence is brought to a prosecutor to see if there's reason to try to bring up charges. So as we go and we start bringing these people in, um, we have to know that we got to be prepared to hear disputes. You know, we got to be prepared. So. Uh, let me cover one more thing. I know we only got a few more minutes, but um, let me cover one more thing. So, um, in the scriptures, what happened first is when Moses is taking them out of Egypt, they're referring to themselves as a congregation. So, the congregation has nothing to do with a physical building. I just wanted to make that clear. So, um, with this fishers of men, we need laborers. Well, we got I got some rankings down that we can use. Laborers don't have to be a part of the nation or the temple, but we need healers. We need nurses. Um, holistic healers or whatever, herbalists. We need some people that can do some counseling so they can be counselors. And when I say counseling, I mean, if you get, if you're on the street and you, you got somebody that's a drug addict, um, basically the counselor is going to review their case, find out where all their problems are, and then would be the one that would be the liaison between the individual and the help they need. So until we can do it ourselves, then we're going to have to take them to homeless shelters, uh, food banks, or check them in drug rehab, or um, getting them into low-income housing programs. So that would be a counselor. Um, We need... Uh, analysts, these are all laborers. So like nurses, holistic healers, we want them to travel with each camp. Now, each individual, particularly these fishers of men that are going to be, we got, we all need to be competent in basic healing measures, um, basic herbs and things like that home remedies. We all need to be competent. And we want to be able to 
um, have a camp out there that we have legitimate nurses, um, even if we train some people to be nurses, but whatever, like Tora's a registered nurse, so she's going to be overseeing that part, but um, even if we had to train them, but we want to be able to take blood pressure, um, check heartbeats, um, those types of things, basic things. And we want to be able to say, hey, um, you take these herbs, you take this type of dietary program, and do this, 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 and this. Counselors are going to be reviewing everybody's individual cases, stuff like that. Now, obviously, we're not going to get out there immediately, and all this is going to be done. I'm just putting on the record. Mm-hmm. Now, like a few more minutes left, so let me try and get through it. So, look, how this was set up, how this was set up in the scriptures, um, the laborers would be the bottom entry level. From there, you become a disciple, which would be somebody that's studying the discipline, and that's an official member of the nation. So if you're going to take on the discipline of the Christ, you're a disciple of the Christ. We need sureties. Uh, surety is somebody that is going to, you know, make sure that they're going to vouch for these people that want to join this nation and join this study group and tabernacle. So they got to, you know, spend some time with these people that want to join and they're going to be responsible. They're vouching for the people that get approved. Shalom. Yes. Um, I actually, it's funny you brought it up, brother, because I was reading the law dictionary uh, not too not too long ago, and they do that in the, I guess you could say, the Roman Catholic churches. They call it a vower tree. Are you familiar with that term? When they appoint someone or they have someone who is um, uh, bringing someone to a benefice and they're acting as a surety for uh, them, they do, I guess they do it, it's part of ecclesiastical law. Are you familiar with that? I am not. Okay. Well, what you're saying is the exact same thing that they do. So it's confirmation, basically. Everything that you're saying is confirmation. And it's crazy. I just read it two nights ago. It's called a vowetry or something like that. A-V-O-W-T-R-Y. Wow, that's crazy. I did not know that. I did not know that. Okay, well, thank you, sir. Um, Of course, we need scribes, recorders, things like that. Apostle. Uh, Apostle is one that is basically sent out, and they're qualified to speak. They can speak. They can preach. Uh, Stewards. Stewards would be like maybe the leader of a squad uh, in the absence of a minister. Like say there's no minister in Massachusetts where E.K. is. So the one that would lead that out would be a steward. Oh, Jesus. One moment. Okay. Sister Torah. So uh, that would be a steward. Then above them would be a minister or a priest. But I think we should stick with the ministers. Um, That was Lynn's um, 
introduction to us when we were in Detroit in 2014, and we should stick with that. So uh, we got some ways to go, but it will go ministers, stewards, apostles, sureties, disciples, laborers. So a disciple is like an entered apprentice, I guess you would say. It's somebody that accepts the discipline. Um, in the scriptures, it says when they first, well, when they were first coming out of um, Egypt, well, right before they came out, there was this three days journey. So when somebody accepts the faith and they want to dedicate and become a disciple of the Christ, there's a three days journey, and then you got to do. Um, it's like a spiritual cleansing. So um, that would be what your group would consist of. And you'll have some type of, uh, like, I'm going to use the term commit. Oh, I'm sorry. We need security force. Um, so we got Lion Kings. And we can just institute Lion Kings security. Um, We've got to have that mandatory, particularly when we hit the streets. We always need somebody that's going to be um, conducting security. Um, ministers, stewards, apostles, surety, disciples, laborers, and then also in there are scribes. Laborers can be doctors, healers. We need some analysts so that if people got uh, credit issues, property issues, they're going to be analyzing to see if we can do anything with the real estate. Counselors are going to be those that are going to be, you know, carrying out certain things with troubled people. Um, and then we need some people that are just um, spreading the word, just spreading the word, like inviting people. Um, I don't know what to call them, greeters. I don't know. I don't know what to call them. But, you know, um, that, that's all we need to speak about for today because I got to get to this other class. So, um, yes. thank you all for being being here. Shalom, shalom. Thank you for having us.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.